0: The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.
1: Boiler fans may be thinking about six years ago, their last game-winning field goal was against the Iowa Hawkeye. This to stay alive in the Big Ten West from 25 for Evans. For the lead evans he got it now it's up to the best kick return team in the country but iowa right now is paying for chasing the points early in this game We say it all the time don't chase points early they
0: did hello everyone this is john patchett and welcome to the football show from hawkeyes mike this is our new Reporters Notebook podcast, featuring Scott Doctorman, who reflects on the Hawks' loss at Purdue and previews this week's Iowa-Northwestern game. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include sports reporters Scott Doctorman of The Athletic and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, former Iowa kicker Ron Kaluuya and our own Tyler Chelmeland and Jack Bransgard. The Purdue game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with announcers Jason Bonetti and Kelly Stouffer. We very much appreciate it and thank them.
1: We'd assume they're going for it right here. Wow. And the decision may be the fact that right now doesn't have an answer for Purdue's passing game, so I think Kirk Ferentz just may see that it's going to take a lot of points to win this game. Iowa, very good fourth down team this year. Play action for Stanley to the end zone. Touchdown, Hawkinson on fourth down. Kirk Ferentz strikes. Fans on the screen was the big play in this game. Bookend tight ends. We didn't see much of them. Just three catches in the first half. <laughs>
0: The Iowa Hawkeyes return to Kinnick Stadium Saturday afternoon after spending the last 2 weeks on the road. Iowa hosts Big 10 West leading Northwestern, and while hopes for the Hawkeyes playing in Indianapolis are essentially gone, winning out is very important for Iowa's bowl slotting. On the other hand, Northwestern can afford to lose this game and it would still lead the Big 10 West division with Illinois and Minnesota left to play on its schedule. However, at this point, the Wildcats are not yet bowl eligible. Iowa comes into this game with an overall record of six and three and just three and three in the Big Ten. Only three scores separate the Hawkeyes from being 9-0 and at this point. Iowa's dropped out of both the AP and coaches' polls. Northwestern is 5-4 and four overall, but a somewhat amazing 5-1 and one in the conference. Chicago's Big Ten team has defeated Purdue, Michigan State, Nebraska, Rutgers, and Wisconsin, but it suffered earlier losses non-conference to Duke and Akron, and then again last week versus Notre Dame, and its only conference loss is to Michigan. Kirk Ferentz is in his 20th year as Iowa's head coach. He is the Dean of College Football Coaches. He's the winningest head coach in Iowa history, and his overall record with Iowa is 149-100. and Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald, who is now the second-longest tenured coach in the conference, is in his 13th year as the head man in Evanston. His overall record there is 92 and 92-68. Iowa leads this series 50-26-3, but it's been much more competitive since 1995 and, in fact, has turned into a non-trophy rivalry game for both teams where outcomes are hard to predict regardless of stats and records. The Hawkeyes are 26-10 and all-time in games played in Iowa City and had won 21 games over Northwestern prior to the Wildcats winning 31-20 at Evanston in 1995. Iowa has lost the last two games in this series, 38-31 in 2016 at Kinnick, and 17-10 in overtime last year in Evanston. Prior to that, the Hawks had won three straight. Northwestern has a six-game road winning streak and has won nine straight games against Big Ten West foes. In game notes, Iowa's defense, despite the last two back-to-back losses, continues to rank highly in both the Big Ten and FBS stats. Iowa ranks second in the conference in scoring defense at 18.6, rushing defense at 86.2, and total defense 283.7. The total defense ranking is eighth in the nation. The rushing D is fifth in the FBS. The Hawkeyes allow just 2.9 yards per carry, which is tied for seven. Nationally, and have surrendered just six rushing touchdowns, also seventh in the nation. Iowa has allowed just 145 first downs, the second fewest in the conference, and tied for 10th in the FBS. Iowa has also picked up its pace of interceptions 10 over the last five games since safety Geno Stone has seen more playing time in the new defensive 4 2 5 scheme that Phil Parker has been employing against spread offenses, which includes moving safety Amani Hooker up to a hybrid outside linebacker type of position. Stone and Hooker are tied for the team lead with three picks apiece. Iowa also has 26 sacks. That's fourth in the Big Ten. It's led by defensive ends A.J. Epinesa, who has seven of those, and Anthony Nelson with 6.5. After a miserable game at Penn State, Iowa quarterback Nate Stanley bounced back nicely last Saturday at Purdue. He's up to 17 passing touchdowns against eight interceptions. And he's completing 57% of his passes. The seven TDs rank second in the conference. Stanley's 43 career touchdown passes is tied for fifth in program history. Iowa's offensive line continues to play well and through the first nine games has given up just 10 sacks. That's the fewest in the Big Ten. Iowa's trio of sophomore running backs have combined for 1,273 rushing yards so far this year, including 10 rush TDs. Sargent has six of those touchdowns. Ivory Kelly Martin and Torrin Young have two each. The Hawkeyes' star tight end tandem of Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson have combined for 979 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns, with three games left to play in the regular season. Also of note, Iowa's two key offensive trend lines are beginning to be not quite as predictive as they were a couple of weeks ago, as was the case at Penn State. In the Purdue game, the Hawkeyes exceeded 20 points and 100 yards rushing, yet they lost both of those games. So going into the Northwestern contest, Iowa is now 34-4 and when rushing for 100 yards or more over the past four seasons, and 12-2 and when scoring 20 or more points since the start of the 2017 season. Northwestern enters this game averaging just 2.59 yards per carry. That's 100 128th out of 130 FBS teams. The Wildcats have scored just 28 offensive touchdowns and senior quarterback Clayton Thorson has accounted for 17 of those, 11 via the pass and six running. However, Thorson has also thrown 10 INTs and his offensive line has given up a whopping 24 sacks through the first nine games. Northwestern is the least penalized team in college football, just 26 penalties for an average of only 27.2 penalty yards per game. Iowa is now up to plus four in turnover margin. The Wildcats are minus one on the season. In depth chart notes, Iowa is relatively healthy coming into this game. While fullback Brady Ross remains out, and Ivory Kelly Martin's ankle appears to be a nagging concern, everything else looks pretty good, especially for a November game. Backup tight end Sean Byer remains out. He's been replaced on the two deeps this week by Drew Cook. Yes, that's the son of Marv Cook. Cornerback Matt Hankins finally returns from his injury and then last week's one-game suspension. That should help buttress the defensive. Side Secondary, which for the most part has been a strength for the team this season. The Wildcats will be without two starters due to injuries and both are key players for their defense. Safety Jared McGee and cornerback Trey Williams, that's half of Northwestern's starting defensive secondary. It's likely that Iowa was going to emphasize the pass this weekend anyway. Now you should expect to see even more of that. In Tidbits and Nuggets, kickoff at Kinnick Stadium is scheduled for 2.42 p.m. The game will be televised by Fox with announcers Joe Davis, Brady Quinn, and Bruce Feldman. It will be broadcast on the Hawkeye Radio Network with Gary Dolphin, Ed Podolak, and Rob Brooks. And it will be available on Satellite Radio, XM Channel 195, and Sirius 106. Former Iowa and current NFL linebacker Josie Jewell will be recognized at this game for winning last year's Lot Impact Trophy. Jewell will receive his award ring, and the university will be presented with a trophy, as well as a $25,000 check for the UI General Scholarship Fund. This is the annual blackout game, so fans are encouraged to wear all-black clothing. And it's the annual military appreciation game. There will be several special activities, pre-game and during the game, including a large American flag on the field for the national anthem. And last but not least, it's also Iowa's family weekend. Mm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch
1: is scotch scotch. Here it goes down, down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm. Second down of goal, Sorry to Who's going to last touchdown? It is in Iowa leads for the first time! And this is what slashers do, is they kind of rub off of the initial contact and still go forward. And he, Sergeant needed to do it on that play because there was great contact at the goal line. Remember, Iowa chased points earlier. Empty backfield, Stanley. And a traffic and incomplete for Smith.
0: let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game first up Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who provides his overview of this 2018 northwestern team
3: first of all it's great to be back home you know we've had a quirky schedule this year heavy uh, uh, at the front end with home games and then four out of five on the road so uh, to get back in Kennick and being back in Kennick for two out of the last three is certainly a positive but uh, you know most importantly be back there Saturday we're looking forward to that opportunity and you know you look over the years uh, really uh, going back 20 years, this game's really uh, become a big rivalry uh, between us and Northwestern. We've had a great series over the years and uh, it's not a trophy game officially, but it really kind of feels like one. So, you know, they're an outstanding football team. When you look at them on tape, I think one thing's very apparent. They've got an identity, a clear identity. You know, I think that's got to do with the longevity of Coach, Coach uh, Fitzgerald there uh, and their staff. You know, they're very well coached. Uh, they know who they are, what they are, and, and the commonalities are guys play hard and they're very productive, very, very uh, good football players. And I think beyond that, I think it jumps out at you. They're really, really good at reacting to situations. Whatever comes up, they seem to be prepared for that. So, you know, we're going to have to compete at a really high level to to stay with these guys, that's for sure. For the third straight week, we're facing a team that's got an experienced quarterback uh, who's really a good football player. Certainly, uh, Clayton Thorson's a little different type player than the last two we faced. Uh, but nonetheless, he's very productive. He's a great leader. And has led them to the uh, top of the West right now, the Big Ten West. So, I think that's a real uh, credit to them and his his uh, leadership there.
0: Verans was asked what he thought about fans who still don't give Northwestern credit for how solid the football program is under Pat Fitzgerald and still view it as if it was the 1970s or 80s.
3: I'd say they're living in the past. If, if there are people like that, I don't know. I would think anybody follows college football closely probably wouldn't be of that opinion. But yeah, neither one of us were quite very good, quite frankly, in 1999. I think they might have nudged us out record-wise. I, I know they did in the Big Ten. We didn't win a game. I think they might have won one against us on a two-point play that's the past. Uh, they really had a resurgence in the 90s. They had some great football teams which uh, Pat played on and capped and was an outstanding player on them and then dipped a little bit but uh, really found their identity I think in 2000 when they uh, you know, converted a little bit to where, where they're closer to what they are now offensively. I think the other real significant point, in my, from my vantage point at least, is they really developed a defensive identity 2007-2008 and to me since that time they've been a really tough opponent and have played very well and you just go back and look. I mean a 10-win team last year, I think nine the year before before. before that so or seven to nine whatever it is but they've won a lot of football games but they're you know bottom is when you put the film on they're really well coached those guys play hard they play good football so I mean you know if anybody's in that in that mode uh, that was in the 80s I was here then and that's a long time ago tell you that a lot of things have happened since then
0: Ferentz was asked about the common characteristics of his teams that over the years have often finished strong down the stretch.
3: There's no magic formula. It's like winning any game. You know, it starts with your preparation during the week, then you got to go out and compete. But I, th- I think we're, when you shift into November, really, it deals with, the, you know, and that's one thing about football, just in general, circumstances change so much, you know, and I'm following the NFL very closely right now uh, for, you know, flipping it around. Uh, but, but you, you know, you kind of just hear these themes, and I know back in September, it looked like Jacksonville was really playing well, and Houston was on their way down the skids. Now it's just flip flopped as I understand it. And, in, you know, looking like in college football, there's a lot of examples of that also. So, the bottom line is, you know, circumstances are always changing. Uh, you know, you could be on a, a real good streak where you're winning, or you could be, you know, we're coming off two tough losses, last uh, last possession losses. So, I think what it gets down to, the, the circumstances are a little different that way, and the mental games that can get played, it really gets down to your ability to focus on what's important. It's like playing a game. You know, when, when it's game time, the only it counts as that game and right right now I think the teams that can uh, focus on their preparation and keep their eyes there and um, you know then go out and compete on Saturday are the ones that give themselves a chance. Obviously injuries factor in there, obviously some other circumstances can factor in but those are things you know are going to happen in August, you just don't know how they're going to surface or you know what what the challenges are going to be so you know how do you deal with those things.
0: And Kirk was asked about how he tries to deal with both his players and assistant coaches interacting with with the on-field officials during games, especially as was the case at Purdue last Saturday, where several key calls were questionable at best and going against the Hawkeyes.
3: It can be a challenge, and um, you know, I learned a lesson. We, we played, uh, doesn't matter where we played, but it was in 1994. We got totally absorbed in the officiating and the game that day, and it probably cost us a game. We lost, I think, before I talk, we lost five games. We were 11-1, uh, 11-5, and one of the losses because we, we just got so absorbed in what we perceived to be the, the, the officiating. So uh, lesson learned there, you know, when the players start getting worried about it, the assistant coach get worried about it, that, that's not a good thing. You know, so that that's really my job. I'll, I'll handle that, and hopefully I can compartmentalize it. And, and the reality is, you know, you're not always going to agree with what's being called or not being called. You know, and that's the way it goes. And I think, you know, all of our hopes are, are typically, I don't want to speak for other coaches, my, my hopes would be that there's consistency and, you know, good judgment when, you know, discretion. You know, it's a big part of law enforcement, too, right? Consistency and discretion. You know, time of the game situations, those kinds of things, I think, should factor into it. And it's like baseball. You know, if an umpire calls them high for strikes, then, you know, you better adjust your strike zone if you're a batter but you know if they're high and then they're not high or low and not low that really gets hard to follow the Bonson ball you know you can't it's hard to be a good hitter if uh, that strike zone's not real consistent so you know that's what I think all of us hope for
2: Visit HawkeyesMike.com and check the links for up to date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Medium and Twitter.
0: Next, we hear from Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald, who talks about the challenges Iowa poses for his Big Ten West leading Northwestern team.
4: Big challenge for us this week, uh, heading out to, to Iowa City to take on the Hawkeyes. Coach Ferentz, Sadina, the, the Big Ten coaches, uh, someone that we have, I, our staff has so much respect for their staff. We've competed against each other now a number of times, and uh, they've, they've all been challenging games. Um, you know, they've had two tough, Defeats on the road uh, in a row, they've been right there one play away in both those games. And, you know, probably feel similar to the way that we do. We kind of gave away some games and, and, you know, reading some things that they've said, they, they probably feel the same way. Offensively, you know, I think Nate uh, is a really, really good quarterback. You know, it's, again, we go into Big Ten play and you look at, you know, preseason on where guys are at, and then you watch him play throughout the year. And I think he's, he really played well in the second half against Purdue. It was really an impressive performance down the stretch. They've got three really talented running backs that they've been using quite a bit, and Fenton, I are two of the best tight end combinations that there is in the country. With the offensive line, it's it's like I've always said, it's like watching a concert pianist. It's, it's really physical, well-coordinated. And then on the outside, the receivers, I, I, this might be the best receiving core that we've seen from Iowa top to bottom. Really athletic, uh, guys that can go up and get the ball, guys that can stretch the field vertically are really physical also on the outside. And then defensively, you know, they rank eighth in the country in total defense, uh, 27th in the country in points allowed. I think they're leading the conference at the top in the countries in, in, uh, in interceptions. The front eight, they rotate eight guys, uh, are, are as good as there is in this league. And then they're back in. They've got a couple of young guys playing a corner, but, you know, they're kind of uh, playing a little bit more 4 2 5 as of late. And uh, they've got really good speed and physicality uh, at the second level. And then it's safety. And like I said, they're leading the conference, I think, in interceptions. But what jumps out to me is their character. You watch their kick game, and uh, it's absolutely outstanding. Uh, That third phase for them, to me, is really what's probably most impressive. Uh, You know, those guys really are well-coordinated. They play incredibly hard. Their return guys can take it to the house on every rep, so we're going to have our hands full there.
0: Fitzgerald was asked about playing so-called back-to-back poster games last week in Evanston versus Notre Dame and this week on the road at Iowa.
4: You know, I I think we just stick to our process. It's kind of like I was talking about last week. We've got our number one objective each week is to consistently prepare for victory. And especially as you get in here to the last month of the season, you can't get bored with the grind. You actually have to embrace it and really enjoy the heck out of it. You know, when I talked to the squad this morning, you know, I put a big graphic up behind me, 20 days. You know this this squad is only guaranteed 20 days together, and you know what we earn every day will hopefully prepare us then for those three Saturdays that we have left collectively together. And uh, you know, so I think you, you you focus on the process, and then hopefully you go out and put put a good week together of preparation. We know it'll be a challenge. I mean, Kinnick is one of the cathedrals of college football. It's a really hard place to play. Their fans are awesome. Um, this is engaged engaged of a fan base and. Uh, that you'll play against so it's uh, it's always a challenge.
0: Fitzgerald who is now the second longest tenured head coach in the Big Ten addressed the importance of consistency in the Iowa program under head coach Kirk Ferentz the dean of college coaches.
4: Well you look at the job that, that Kirk has done and he's had very little staff turnover but I think he said the right word consistency there's a consistency in in the way that they recruit they know who they are they recruit guys that fit their program. They develop them out, you know, at every position at an outstanding level. They've got a great strength and conditioning program. Um, they've won consistently. They've won championships, uh, and they do it the right way. What does that mean? It means when you watch them on tape, fundamentally, they're incredibly sound. Their, their technique is outstanding. They're very consistent there. Uh, typically, their execution is at a very, very high level, and that's in all three phases. They've played very high complementary football. Uh, over Coach Ferentz's time, they play very physical. They very rarely make mistakes. Uh, you're going to have to earn every inch against them uh, in in all three phases. And uh, you couple that with again one of the most passionate football-educated fan bases, you know, in in uh, their home games. From a standpoint of environment and Kinnick, you, you really got a complete program. And and obviously, you know, Coach Ferentz has, has done just a phenomenal job. And I think I don't want to speak for the other. You know, 12 head coaches in the Big Ten, but the the, the level of respect for Coach Ferrante and the job that he's done—it's—it's—it's it's, it's at the top from from I know from me and from everybody in our in our conference that competes against the Hawkeyes every week or every year. And
0: Fitzgerald talks about the play of his quarterback Clayton Thorson and what Thorson needs to do to have success against Iowa's highly ranked defense.
4: You know, again, we just got to take what the defense gives us, and um, we've got to be able to uh, to. Take, take advantage of some things. I mean, you got to credit Notre Dame. They they, um, they played really well, I thought, in the pass game. I mean, to be frank with you, I thought that was their best pass defense that we've seen all year. Um, and I thought our O-line protected pretty well in, in, in pass rush. There were a couple of scramble sacks, you know, or flush sacks. He's He's scrambling to try to make a play. Um, but for the most part, I thought they played well. I thought J.B. Butler maybe played his best game against a really, really good player against a potential, you know, down-the-road first-rounder uh and so you know we're gonna have our hands full again with this front they like i said they play eight guys and they keep those guys fresh and do a really good job coach parker does a phenomenal job so um you know i just expect him to go out and have fun and 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 take what the defense gives him and continue to be the great leader and the great winner that he has been you know you don't become the all-time winningest quarterback in program history by accident it happens through work ethic it happens through making plays and I expect that Clayton will do that here. It's gonna he's gonna have his hands full against these defenses, but I expect he'll do what he needs to do and play the way he needs to play. Interception!
1: David Blough picked off by Amani Hooker! Four-six! A flag is down at the 15-yard line. There's one also back at the three. Will it stand for Amani Hooker? If it does, Iowa will take the lead. During the return, holding defense number 11. 10-yard penalty from the spot of the foul. First down, Iowa. <laughs>
2: Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319 848 4191 or toll free at 1 800 383 7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319 848 4191 or toll free at 1 800 383 7663.
0: Time now for our weekly reporter's notebook feature this week with Scott Doctorman. You can read Scott's articles online at theathletic.com team slash Iowa dash Hawkeyes. You can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Doctorman. Scott reflects on the last-minute loss at Purdue, and he previews the matchups in this Saturday's game, the Hawkeyes versus the Wildcats. Plus, we talk some Big Ten. We welcome back Scott Doctorman for our... Reporters Notebook podcast, the preview of Iowa hosting Northwestern in a Big Ten West division game. But before we get to that contest, let's reflect just a little bit, Scott, on another kind of crushing, last-second, heartbreaking loss. Uh, you know, Iowa's now 6-3. and three. They're three scores away from being 9-0. and o.
5: <laughs> Yeah, really, they are. And, uh, you know, this is just, uh, of the three, I think it, it may sound strange because this was Purdue, but I think this is really the most legitimate of the losses that they had and yet uh you know they had every opportunity to win it came down to the very end there were some you know some questionable calls but those tend to happen but i think really what what iowa needs to think about and uh is you know they gave up some big plays early in the game and it cost them i mean you know the, the you know an eight and then of course right off the bat in the third quarter an 82 yard pass that just really you know made it difficult for iowa to, to come back and now they were able to they were able to get in a rhythm of Offensively, but you know, towards the end of the game, uh, you know, you, you give a good offense one last possession, and then you know, a couple of big plays, including a penalty. It just, you know, that that's what happens. You know, that you don't, you don't get really many more opportunities. So, you know, it's it really it, it, the loss, and you know, turned the season from being one where there was some potential there to get to Indianapolis to kind of make this a, a memorable season to now just making it a nice season. And you know, if they win out, sure, they could have a good season, but it's not one that's going to be written down and, and fondly discussed in 10 to 15 years. So I think they have really they lost an opportunity. And, uh, you know, it's a two-point loss on the road at a good team, Purdue, that blew out Ohio State, yet it's really a, a season, and now that you're looking at going, yeah, what uh, have coulda, shoulda, and I think that's where we are with Iowa.
0: Let's turn to the Iowa-Northwestern game. It's the military appreciation game for the Hawkeyes this season, and you look at the Northwestern team, which is leading the Big Ten West 5-4 and four overall this year, but 5-1 and one in the Big Ten. And you look at their stats, whether it's offensive or defensive, and you kind of scratch your head and say to yourself, how can this be? And yet, as Ference pointed out Tuesday is Presser, the only stat that really counts is wins and losses. Let's look at Iowa's offense, which really bounced back nicely at Purdue against a Northwestern defense that kind of, uh, you know, reflects the its head coach. This is an interesting matchup. And I think it
5: really comes down to, you know, what is Iowa able to do versus what is, uh, you know, Northwestern able to, to stop. And no- Northwestern has a pretty good defense. They're very physical. They, uh, they, they kind of know what they are. It's almost like looking at an Iowa defense. You know, they're, but that said, um, you know, this is a defense that's better in a phone booth than it is spread out wide. Boy, we're talking almost like we're talking about Iowa here. But, but in the games where they've lost, it's usually because teams have figured out how to pass on them, how to spread them out, how to, how to kind of dictate tempo that way. When teams try to play slug ball with them, that's when Northwestern's kind of at, a, at an advantage. So it's in Iowa's interest to try to um, maybe spread them out. And, and, and this, is, uh, this is kind of unusual. I mean, Iowa likes to get off, you know, at least have those options to run the football physically and between the tackles. But in this case, in order to win the game, you might want to start the other way which is maybe going to, you know, two tight ends and two receivers and you know or three wide receiver formations, moving them out wide because, you know, their their pass defense is is okay. It's ranked 7th in the Big 10. You know, 234 yards a game. You know, their rush defense is good, not great. It's, you know, it gives up 143 yards a game. You know, scoring D, it's you know a little over 24 points. So, you know, this is a team that's that's not great in any area defensively, but they just play really good, tough, hard-nosed football so in order to do that you have to take advantage of your athletes and put them on their on the defensive immediately and I think that's what you're really going to see with Iowa is uh, you know Brian Ferentz trying to spread out Northwestern pass to set up the run but uh, you know really try to keep them on their heels.
0: Yeah, you, you look at Iowa's offense, and, and where it's really succeeded here recently, just to your point, it would seem to me they'd have a good shot at doing that because you've got your two-star tight ends and your three top wide receivers who are really coming into their own here.
5: Yeah, there there's some opportunity here. I mean, you know, Iowa's passing game is probably at its higher, highest level since probably the 2010 season. I mean, they're averaging almost 235 yards a game. For the most part, they've been, you know, pretty good. Uh, you know, I'd say, other than the first couple of games and and the uh, Penn State game that they've been consistent. You've got wide receivers and tight ends who are capable of making big plays. Uh, The tight ends, of course, as we all know, Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson are two of the best in the country. So, you know, they're they're mismatches with any kind of defender that goes against them. You know, defensive backs are too small and uh, linebackers are too big and bulky. So it's just really difficult that way. So, uh, you know, Iowa should be able to take advantage of it. And I think if they do the right thing and that is try to, to create mismatches, which they tend to not have not been able to do very well. They, they, they go by more by formation as opposed to mismatching uh, opponents. Then, you, you know, you could have somebody like Noah Fant on the outside and take advantage of that. Uh, they have lined him up in the slot quite a bit. And that's been, a, you know, a nice change. But I think, uh, you know, if they can kind of take take advantage of some of those issues and force the Wildcats linebackers to get out in space then I think they've got a really good chance of, of hitting some big plays and moving the ball up and down the field kind of the way they want to.
0: Nate Stanley you know, looked just befuddled at Penn State and really bounced back well last week, I thought. And He does has 17 touchdowns on the year, and the offensive line has kept him clean, the 10 sacks they've given up all season long. Northwestern, on the other hand, in terms of trying to pressure the quarterback, their 12 sacks are the lowest in the Big Ten.
5: It's a real strange scenario right now, I think, with Northwestern and, and in this situation. Because last year they were really good at getting after the quarterback, and I think they've hit the quarterback a little more often than their total sacks show. But still, um, they're you know going against a team that protects the quarterback well. You know this is an advantage for Iowa because if Nate Stanley can stay protected, he can find those receivers whether it's down the field or you know allow them to make double moves. You know last week the converse was you know with uh, Purdue when Purdue had the ball, uh, they in order to target Iowa. They had quick passes and early pass, early downs they used to execute deep, deeper routes to try to keep the pass rush from hitting them. In this case, Iowa can kind of do the same thing, but... You know, Northwestern's really just not good enough to, to get after the quarterback repeatedly. Certainly not like we saw two years ago where they had six sacks against Iowa and, and really thwarted any opportunity for the Hawkeyes to come back.
0: I thought the funny question at Kirk's press conference on Tuesday was, has Iowa become a pass-first team? And he kind of deflected that and just said, you know, Iowa's offense will do whatever it takes to win against a given defense. But to the point of the three sophomore running backs, they're just taking turns in terms of, of uh, being the leading rusher game to game.
5: Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I think Ivory Kelly Martin's the guy they want, but he keeps getting dinged up. He keeps having ankle issues, and so they're having a hard time keeping him on the field. I think he's the guy that they would like to see do all of that. But then, uh, you know, the, really, the, to me, the guy that's been the most productive is Bakai Sargent. Um, he's more physical, you know, probably a harder runner than Kelly Martin. Um, he's more agile than toron Young, and he's been really good in all facets of the passing game, you know, receive leaving, taking care of the ball that way, but also blitz pickup. So, I think he's got a chance to really do some good things. And it wouldn't at all surprise me if he starts to kind of accumulate more of the carries, uh, especially as Kelly Martin just cannot stay on the field. He always continues to have ankle issues.
0: Sergeant is kind of slippery and shifty. I know Jack Brandsgard on our Hawkeyes Mike team calls him Crisco as his nickname because he just seems really hard to tackle.
5: He's a little bit of a bowling ball type. I mean, you know, he's, he's physical. Um, you know, he's able to, he's got great balance. He's like a weeble wobble. You know, you just can't really quite get a good grasp on him, you know, because he's you know, he's really a tough out. And, and I think that's important for this past, you know this team. And I he reminds me a lot of Adam Robinson from about 10 years ago, um, you know, as a running back and stuff. So I think if, uh, you know, if he could continue to improve or continue to get seed minutes and snaps, I think he's going to end up being a really good player for Iowa long term.
0: Back to Northwestern's defense for just a moment. They're led far and away by two of their starting linebackers, Blake Gallagher and Patty Fisher, who are both highly ranked in the Big Ten defensively in terms of total tackles, but I thought their interesting stat to me is, you look at their one of their starting defensive ends, Joe Gaziano. He only has 28 total tackles. However, 13 of those are for either a tackle for loss or a sack. He's got four and a half sacks, eight and a half tackles for loss. That's got to be one of the higher percentages out of total tackles nationally, don't you think?
5: Well, he's, he's a very good player and he was last year. He was much higher in the sack category than he is this year, but uh, he's very disruptive. And that's, that's one of the things you have to be cognizant of, you know, with, with this team is, you know, Gaziano, especially, you know, uh, you know, he's, yeah, as you mentioned, only 28 tackles, but eight and a half for, for loss, four and a half sacks, you know, he's, he's really good at pressuring, you know, players and, you know, and he's, uh, you know, in, in his career, he has 27 and a half tackles for loss and 18 sacks. So you really got to be, you know, he's going to be the disruptive force on the line of scrimmage that Iowa has to be cognizant of, you know, but that said, you know for the rest of the unit they they don't really get after the passer but they play the run really well and they just they do the right things i mean that's why the the unit doesn't necessarily say or or you know make you go "Ah, you know okay they're a great team like iowa you look at iowa's defensive numbers and you say okay they're this is a really good unit whereas northwestern's Performance just seems to to supersede whatever the the numbers say about them because they just turn up and and get victories.
0: So who has the edge, Iowa's offense versus Northwestern's defense?
5: At this point, I'm going to go with Iowa's offense. I mean, Iowa's scoring in over 30 points a game, and that's those are some pretty good numbers. And then you look at Northwestern. You know, they're averaging 24 points given up per game, and they played some good teams. They played both Michigan schools and Notre Dame. You know, Duke is a bowl team. They're six and three. You know, they've had had some issues. They're good. Good, you know defense or offense and or a good defense i should say and but i mean iowa has shown consistently that it can score it hasn't gotten bogged down the way it does the past so i think iowa is is versatile enough that you know if it, it can pass on anybody you know stanley is in the right frame of mind and then of course they can run when they need to so i gotta go with iowa on that
0: one all right let's flip over look at iowa's defense against northwestern's offense i think if you look at Northwestern's stats overall it's their offensive stats you know you kind of wonder. Or how they can how they can be five and one in the Big Ten? Their rushing yards are nothing special, 93 a game. You know their total yards are 378 nearly per game. But you've got their sort of again, really for the third week in a row, kind of starts and ends with their quarterback Clayton Thorson, who's close to setting nearly every QB record in the annals of Northwestern football.
5: They've got yeah. I mean, if it's not for him, I mean this this team would be struggling to make a bowl because you know even you know and then really. You you know that could be a possibility too because of the way their overall record is uh but you know Clayton Thorson what a, what a story he is you know to come back the way he did from an ACL in the bowl game last year the Music City Bowl to come back and have you know and, and really didn't play very much early on they kind of moved him back in piecemeal but here he is you know uh, you know, basically a four-year type of player and and one of the great quarterbacks in, in Northwestern history you know he's completing at 60% you know but he also turns the football over. He's got 11 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. You know, he's uh, But he just kind of wills his team to, to victory. I mean, they've got a good wide receiver, certainly, in Flynn Nagel, who's like every single other Northwestern wide receiver, tough and finds a way to get open. And you're just like, how did this guy do it? You know, Austin Carr and Jeremy Ebert, and Lord knows how many more you can bring up from the past, but that's what they are. But, you know, to me, what really stands out f- for them are two you know key numbers here one is only 93 yards rushing they've been better the last few weeks but that's still not a very good number and Iowa has a pretty good run defense and then two uh, you know sacks allowed they've allowed 24 sacks so when they're turning the ball over through the air you know and uh, you know that's certainly an issue for them because they have you know uh, totals of 11 interceptions and, and 11 touchdowns and you're giving up sacks and you can't run the football you know when you face a good defense defense like Iowa's, it's going to be hard for you to really kind of maintain any kind of uh, consistency, you know, for a long drive. That doesn't mean they can't do it for, you know, a short period of time, but for a long period, it's it's tough. So I think right now that's, uh, you know, for Northwestern, they've got to rely on short fields. They've got to rely on their defense making stops. And, uh, you know, so that's, uh, th- that's where their challenges lie on offense.
0: You mentioned his 11 passing touchdowns. He's got six rushing touchdowns. Northwestern only has 28 offensive touchdowns all season.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, they've are they only got, you know, 31 trips to the red zone and 19 touchdowns. So they're they're good, not great when they get down there. I mean, it's just, you know, this is a team that's that's winning a lot of close games. So it, it, sh- it shows some tenacity to them, the, the abilities to make plays when it's necessary. But, you know, this is not a team that's going to scare you through the air. And if you're Iowa, you've got a lot of, you know, pluses on your side. So, you know, but they've been able to execute. You know, I mean, look at, you know, they played Rutgers a couple weeks ago, only one. On 18-15 and they were trailed the whole game but they still found a way to win you know they found a way to beat Nebraska who's not very good by three points in overtime yet they win by double figures against uh you know michigan state and wisconsin you know and compete with michigan and and notre dame it's just a really fascinating team because they're you're just trying to find that one little area you know the one thing they don't do is they don't have a lot of penalties you know they're by far number one in the big 10 in that so you know if they can kind of you know prevent themselves from getting behind the 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 chains then i think uh you know that that that's why they're able to kind of make things work but but there's nothing here that suggests that this team should be you know know competing against good teams and somehow they find a way to do it
0: yeah they're only averaging 2.59 yards per rushing attempt that's 128th out of 130 FBS teams and they lost their leading running back earlier in the season out for his career but now it looks like they've settled on a younger guy Isaiah Bowser who you know has been decent he's averaging 53.3 yards and he's already got three TDs since coming in yeah
5: they they this is a situation not Dalvet that dissimilar to Iowa in that that you have uh, you know Jeremy Larkin was a really good player for him last year as the backup to an all time great Justin Jackson who's probably you know maybe outside of uh, you know Darnell Autry and Damian Anderson maybe you know considered a net trifecta of greatness for the Wildcats and Larkin you know really could have been a good running back so they're they're still trying to find their their piece of you know the, the puzzle back there and you know Bowser's a nice player but you know he just and have a ton of experience, and and so we're gonna. I'm gonna be interested to see how he competes against a, you know what's been a pretty stout Iowa defense.
0: Back to the receivers, just a moment before we talk about a couple of the Iowa defenders. You, we talked about Flynn Nagel and another kind of prototypical Northwestern receiver who's been pretty solid this season is Cameron Green. And then they've got sort of an out of character kind of receiver who uh, is averaging over 46 yards a game receiving, and that's a guy named Bennett Skronik who's six. Four.
1: Yeah,
5: yeah. I mean, you know, they've got some uh, some different players playing these positions. And, yeah, I mean, Skronic is uh, more or less kind of like a almost a tight end hybrid with a wide receiver. I would say his build is a lot like that of Brandon Smith, and he plays a similar type of role, but, you know, almost like an X receiver. But it's just, uh, it's weird. You just change the names. And these guys all, you could, this is the same offense, and these are the same types of players that we could have saw in 2007. You know, I mean, the only difference is I think Thorson is a little bit bigger than, say, Kafka or Persa or Bosnay or any of those guys. But really, outside of that, there's <laughs> this, this unit is it's funny. You know, you just you look at them and you go, OK, I think I've seen this before. And, uh, you know, each one of these guys, you know, Cam Green, you know, that is their super back, you know, also known as their tight end. And, you know, he's just uh, you know, he's a good player in the clutch. And and so it's uh, it's just kind of fascinating to, to, to see how they've developed
0: on Iowa's was day- Defensive side, despite giving up the 38 points at Purdue, they remain highly ranked in almost all of the key defensive stats, both in the Big Ten and nationally. And you know, this the moving Hooker up to sort of the outside linebacker position and and inserting a lot more playing time for Geno Stone has certainly made a big difference in Iowa's picks. Uh, the last four games, they've been much stronger in that category. And of course, you still have uh, A.J. Epenesa and Anthony Nelson changing places almost weekly as the sack leader on the team and and Jack Gervais really seems to have stepped up as well. You
5: know, they've, they've got better players and more depth in the secondary than they do at linebacker. So this was, you know, and uh, first it started out as being kind of a necessity. But it turns out that it's actually been a really good move, you know, to help their defense. Um, you know, because, you know, they don't play a lot of the slam ball teams the, the way they once did. You know, not like, a, you know, Wisconsin would be one, you know, the Michigan schools are the others. And then Iowa and the rest are a little bit more spread out you know they have three wide receivers they generally go with so uh, i always kind of got with the 21st century on defense and decided let's go with more of a 4-2-5 look and make the uh, outside linebacker more of a hybrid and, and Amani hooker to me has been more of uh you know he he needs to be under strong consideration for first team all big 10 i mean he's just been you know very active yes his statistics are not maybe as strong as as you know certainly like josh, josh jackson's or anything but he's been asked to do a lot and carry a lot, and it really to be. I think he needs to be strongly considered um, for that. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, Geno Stone, uh, you know, has, has come in and he's been a ball hawk. He's been a good hitter for Iowa. You know, he had a pick six against Penn State. He's had other interceptions. You know, on the goal line against uh, Indiana. So I, I really think that this is starting to work for them, and it's also really enabled them to be a little bit more diverse. You know, when it comes to their offensive of you know, their their line linebacking core you know they've had so many injuries and they had a lot of you know graduations after last year you know it's enabled uh, them to not have to force guys out on the field who are maybe not quite up to the task because you know by playing primarily a nickel coverage it hasn't hurt them now uh you know this week they're going to get gouged a little bit from time to time but but not like the, the way they were last week so I, I think this is uh this has been a good move i think it's going to be a great move in the future because you just need to get more speed on the field and if that means you surrender, you know, 10-15 pound guy outside the box, and so be it. And I think it's been it's paid off for him.
0: You wrote at the Athletic this week about I was young cornerbacks. You talked to Kirk Tuesday about why it is that at least in Iowa's defensive schemes recently, cornerback seems to be a position where the younger players can come in and cpt right away and emerge, uh, you know, fairly quickly into solid solid players. I mean, and and you certainly see that even though they got burned a little bit at Purdue last week, but I think it's, we shouldn't underestimate the importance, finally, of getting Matt Hankins back in that backfield, too, because he's a pretty physical guy.
5: Yeah, I'm anxious to see if he'll actually play or if they'll keep continue with Riley Moss, um, because, frankly, you know, Julius Sprintz has earned the time there. He is uh, one of the best corners in the Big Ten, and his upside is limitless. He has, you know, I mean, Iowa's obviously had great corners with the unanimous All-Americans and Desmond King and Josh Jackson the last few years. Desmond King's one of the best corners, in the NFL right now. But that said, you know, Brentz has a skill set that every everybody would love to have at that position because he's, you know, he's 6'2, he's long, very athletic, very competitive, you know, has a nose for the football quick. He's a perfect specimen for that position. Riley Moss, I think, is going to be a really good long-term player. I'm just curious and wondering if he's going to be the type of guy that can, you know, is he better suited at, at corner or is he maybe a more of a free safety type and, you know, next year when, you know, say hook or still remains as that outside linebacker is he going to be better as a free safety and then you bring in a matt hankins or a dj johnson or even a michael Ojimudia so i want to see if hankins gets back on the field because he played really well i thought the first uh, couple of games of the season before he got hurt so you know is do they trust him enough that he can catch up that quickly or or do they want to kind of work him in slow so you know i think to me that's kind of the fascinating development of the week
0: who has the edge in this matchup iowa's defense the wildcats offense
5: oh iowa's defense is uh so much. I mean, you know, you almost have to go straight numbers in some of this. I mean, Iowa's second in the Big Ten in scoring D, total D, rush D. You know, they're fifth in passing D, but you know, just they, they're fourth in sacks. You know, their their defense and is uh, you know really strong in so many areas. Where Northwestern's very uh, schizo. You know, they just have some really some issues in so many different places. That I mean, you, when you go chalk, when you go by the numbers, and and there's not one thing that you can point to to Northwestern's offense and say, okay, the Wildcats can. do do this against Iowa. I mean, granted this series is so chaotic over the years that, you know, you you, know, it's, you can't always predict it based on stats, but that said, uh, I mean, it's it's just the numbers all line up so strongly for Iowa that you have to to take them into account. And So I think Iowa is the better. Has the better defense going against Wisconsin or Northwestern's offense.
0: Quick look at special teams. Uh punting seems pretty even in this game. Iowa probably has a slight edge in uh place kicking with Racinos who's perfect on PATs and uh, hitting 81%, 13 and 16 on field goals. Northwestern's kind of flopped back and forth, but they finally, it seems like the last game or two, decided on a kid named Drew Luckenbaugh, uh, who's also doing their kickoffs now. The thing that looks to me like the separation point again is Iowa's kick return game, where Amir Smith-Marset has been pretty much close to outstanding, except we don't have a touchdown yet.
5: Yeah, that's the one thing for them. I mean, in, in some ways, to me, it, it makes him that much more valuable is the fact that you know sometimes you get a guy who takes one back and it kind of skews the stats in this case he doesn't have that which means he's been that good for that many times i mean he could do whatever i mean you want you need to get 40 yards on a return he can do it and that's really been impressive but you know northwestern's uh strong you know starting kicker charlie kubander has been injured and you know throughout the season so you know he hasn't played i think the last few weeks so you know they've got some inconsistency there and uh and so yeah i mean i think this is a situation where Iowa can can take advantage of of Northwestern but uh, Northwestern special teams usually are pretty good so I don't know that uh, you know but you know why I expect Amir Smith-Marset one of these games to bring one back you know is this the game to do it Um, I guess we'll find
0: out. Before we move to the prediction let's uh, just look at the Big Ten quickly some odd things have been going on in this conference the last few weeks and not the least of which was Illinois somehow scoring 55 points over the Gophers and costing Minnesota's defensive coordinator his job, but Ohio State really barely got by Nebraska last week. Michigan had its way with Penn State after the Nittany Lions win over Iowa. Northwestern lost that weird non conference game at this point in the season to Notre Dame. This week, a couple of big games Ohio State at Michigan State. That's a kind of a separation game there in the Big Ten East and Wisconsin at Penn State.
5: Yeah, I mean, the, the Ohio State uh, Michigan State game, I mean, this is one of those where, I mean, Michigan might be able to seal the East before they even get to that finale with Ohio State, and that's you know, and Michigan has not played in Indy yet, so this is kind of a you know an important week there. And I think Ohio State, you know, they're playing on the road, but they they really need to get better I mean they didn't look very good obviously they got crushed by Purdue they barely beat you know uh, Nebraska so this is a team that's got to make some strides fast I mean just if nothing else because you know they, they've got a good enough record where they're going to go to a bowl game and I don't think the Big Ten wants them to get killed in it so I think that's uh, you know kind of important there and then you know I, I think there's some separator games obviously uh, the one we're staffing but you know Maryland Indiana you know the loser probably doesn't go to a bowl game the winner you know, now. Maryland wins they are you know bowl eligible which is really impressive based on the craziness they've had to endure this year but about Indiana's four and five you know and they have to play I think Michigan next and and so uh, you know this is uh, kind of important for them and then finally Wisconsin Penn State I think that's a bowl separator there I neither mean, team's going to go you know most likely isn't going to go to Indianapolis but I mean this is kind of the difference between going to one bowl or the or another different bowl. so you know I'm, I'm interested in, in how that works and you know iowa still has a a, a prayer but it's 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 in a different language and nobody knows it when it comes to going to indianapolis i mean you know real basically what has to happen is they have to win out and everybody else ahead of them has to lose twice and uh, you know so you really if you're iowa you really need penn state to to beat you know wisconsin to make one of those happen then you need like minnesota ups to upset purdue you know so uh, i don't know if you just wait and decide to hold your karma for another year or or what, but I think this is, uh, you know, Iowa could still could be the best team in the West and not have a chance to get to Indianapolis.
0: All right, back to Iowa hosting Northwestern. You know, the one of the odd little uh, factoids here in this game is Northwestern isn't even bowl eligible yet, and despite that, it's leading the Big Ten West. So, and the other head-scratcher here, I've used that term several times in this conversation, is what does Vegas know that the rest of us don't? Because they're 10 or 10-plus 10 points favoring Iowa in this game given the records and and the past recent history in this series i'm not sure that makes sense to a lot of us
5: no i mean what they're doing is they're high in the statistics they know this is a home game for iowa they they see you know iowa has lost these games but have been very very close iowa is uh you know i mean again last play of the game practically against purdue i mean they were at the three yard line and threw an interception against penn state so they're not like they're getting blown out um they they're a balanced team they've got good players on both sides of the ball. Northwestern, again, doesn't really show it as much as they probably should. So I think that's why we see Vegas with, uh, you know, the 10 points, uh, you know, in most of the cases here, I was a little surprised, but, you know, even Northwestern's last two victories against Iowa have come, you know, by, you know, a touchdown two years ago and a really crazy game. And then, uh, you know, last year was an overtime. So it's not like they've blown out Iowa. Whereas before that, Iowa blew them out twice, you know, consecutively. So it's, um, you know, it, But this series is very difficult to predict and project. And, you know, and Vegas seems to know more than I think the most the rest of us do. So I'm going to go Iowa. You know, I'm I'm gritting my teeth because I don't want to, you know, it's like ding, 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 Homer alert or something like that. But I'm going to go Iowa 27-17. I think Iowa is a better team. I think Iowa has a chance to kind of dictate tempo on both sides of the line of scrimmage, provided Iowa doesn't turn the football over. The one area that gives me slight pause is just the punting game. Because if it's not a, if there's not a roll, and certainly it should be some wind on Saturday, you know that could be cause them some issues. But outside of that, I, I think Iowa has a chance to to, to win and, and win, you know decisively and further embarrass the Big Ten by not being the team to, to go to Indy and still be the best team
1: in the West. All part of God's great plan. Ball is on the turf. Iowa picks it back up and tries to lateral it. That's a forward pass. Purdue wins, 38-36. Purdue has never been to the Big Ten title game. That dream remains in 2018. Three ranked teams have gone down at the hand of Purdue. Purdue, the winner here, a game ahead of Iowa.
0: Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the Iowa Purdue game highlights, and thanks as always to Scott Doctorman. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 12 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices
2: nice work everyone sharp
4: broadcast really good everyone on the floor as well really a lot of hustle I liked it
1: this has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC